Americans. This is the Urbane Cowboys podcast with Josiah Neely of R Street Institute and Doug McCullough of Lone Star Policy Institute. Good day. Howdy, y'all. Welcome to the Urbane Cowboys podcast. I'm Josiah Neely with the R Street Institute. And I'm Doug McCullough with the Lone Star Policy Institute. Our guest today, rejoining the Urbane Cowboys, is... Uh, Philippe Lemoyne, uh, welcome back. Thanks. Nice, nice of you to have me. I should say, the last time you were on, uh, I made an incredible effort to try to pronounce your name correctly. You know, I did research and I practiced and everything, and then I thought when I, when we did the recording that I had nailed it, and then when the episode came out and I listened to it, it was horrible. So I'm not even trying this time. Well, I mean, if that's any consolation, it was much better than what I've been used to in the U.S., so... Uh, that's that's a low bar to be perfectly frank with you (laughs) we're going to talk today about uh some aspects relating to the coronavirus uh what some curiosities in the data and what to make of it um so there's a couple of different topics that i think uh we want to cover um but Maybe we could start by, so you you have written a number of pieces um, on this topic, and I should say that you, for uh, people who did not listen to the previous episode, you are a, a doctoral student in philosophy of science. Yep, yeah, that's right. So, and you also are a, uh, you do like programming on the side. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so you, so the first thing I guess I would say is, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on and where are we with regard to the outbreak. We've seen, you know, the, the virus has spread in a bunch of different countries. There have been a, some, some worrying things going on in certain countries, uh, Italy and Spain, and then within the U.S., most, most uh, in New York City. Uh, uh, most severely, but also in some places like New Orleans or whatever, where it seems to be really, really bad. Um, at the same time, there are other places where things seem to be less bad or places that you would think uh, there should have been more problems than there have been so far, right? So Japan, uh, very old population, uh, quite close to China. Both of these are things where we would think that Japan should get pretty hit pretty hard, and yet they don't seem to be, right? Similarly, some of the South Asian nations, you know, India, even Vietnam, other places like that, even though they're very close, they, they do not appear to be as affected as places that are very far away from China, like Italy or Spain or the United Kingdom. So this is kind of a a big mystery and it's something that you have that you have written about and what that might what that might mean so maybe you could just lay out you know what some of the different scenarios might be yeah yes i mean it's uh you're right that i think that's that's a very puzzling thing you know like if you, if you look at some places like the picture you get is is totally different from when you look at other places and actually it's not just between countries you, you can get very similar things if you look at variation within country. Like, so if you look at Italy, 
like the difference between uh, the north and the south, and in fact the rest of the country, not just the south, is huge. And even in the north, even if you look at Lombardia versus the other regions, uh, like there's a lot of there, there are huge differences. The same thing in Spain, same thing in France. So I mean, some of those differences could just be a difference in timing, uh, and you know, like uh, I mean, this makes sense. You know, uh, in in those cases, I'm like, I'm not saying this is the explanation. I'm still not sure this is the explanation, but I'm saying, okay, that's something that uh, I find extremely plausible. You know, like if, if I had to bet, you know, without if I had no other information, I had to bet, I would say, oh yeah, that's that's just you know the 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 initial infection started in in the north and like. Um, so that's where there was a bunch of super spreaders over there. And like, that's why it got crazy fast over there. And like, it took longer in the South. And you know, in the meantime, they had locked down the country. So it slowed things down in the South. Like, yeah, that makes sense. But, um, still there are some weird things. Like if you look at the U S, uh, it seems that things are much more under control in Washington state where apparently there was an outbreak like earlier. So, I mean, maybe it was just low, like people would say it's, it was just localized to, like a few old people's homes and okay, but you know, how did they contain it to this? You know, if it was so early, I don't know, like any, then you compare this to New York and it's crazy. Uh, but yeah, you know, uh, if you go back, going back to like between countries difference, you, the, the case that uh, if you, if you take India and, and Thailand, for instance, you can say, okay, maybe, um, I mean, first reporting is probably not as good over there, you know, like, cause they're poorer countries. Uh compared to, you know, European countries or the U.S. or uh, even China, actually. So, okay, may- maybe that's it. And also, you know, if you look at the official figures, uh, it seems that they've had their first cases later. Uh, and also there's the issue of climate. You know, we don't really know. I mean, there's been some evidence that's yeah. been suggestive that maybe climate has a has a substantial effect on how easily this thing can spread. But, you know, it's still very... It's still very like uh, I don't want to say speculative because that's a bit exa- exaggerated in this case. We we have some evidence, but it's still like very unclear. You know, like I wouldn't be surprised if this turned out to be mostly not the case, or I also wouldn't be surprised if it turned out that climate did have a huge effect. But but you can't really say that in the case of of Japan. That's why I always like I often come back to Japan. You know, it's like Japan. It's not just that they're closer and more connected to China, as you said. It's also that they actually had their first case before any European country or the U.S. They had their first death before any European countries or the U.S. And yet, you know, at least if you buy the, the official figures, uh, there are still very few deaths. So I know that some people say, yes, that's one thing that's been annoying me about this is that, like, there are a lot of really weird things in the data. But because everyone, well, almost everyone is convinced that they know what's going on, when really I don't think they do, um, they, they they just like they take whatever ad hoc hypothesis um, they can find that will explain away the anomalies. I mean anomalies relative to their favorite theory, and and then they just assert those hypotheses as if they'd been proven. Whereas we don't know, you know. So for instance, for Japan, they're gonna say, "Oh, that's because the one of the things they say is that's because the government uh, doesn't actually count people who die of the of the virus." And, you know, I'm not saying it's impossible, but the more time goes by and, like, the, the less plausible this sounds. I mean, you know, I, I've looked pretty closely, like, especially in my last uh, uh, blog post on, um, like, comparing how much stress 
this virus is putting on the hospital system, particularly ICUs in France, compared to uh, the past 10 seasons of uh, flu. You know, and I say flu, but actually that's a bunch of different viruses, like in the same family. Uh, and actually the reporting even catch stuff that probably aren't, people that probably weren't infected by one of those viruses, flu, actual flu viruses, but uh, other pathogens that, that created flu-like symptoms. But anyway, um, uh, if you look at the amount of stress this thing is putting on, on French ICUs, like, it's crazy. I mean, it's really, it's, it's really totally unlike anything we've seen uh, during any flu season in the past 10 years. And a lot of people are starting to die, you know, in hospitals. Like the figures you, you hear about coming from France, uh, they're only about people who died in hospital and who've been tested positive for this thing, right? right. So it's just, it's very hard to believe that, that if something like that or even close to this had been going on for a while in Japan, people wouldn't notice, you know, I mean, you know, I get that even in democracies, sometimes, you know, people can hide stuff or, you know, they're like uh, lower at the lower level or even at the high level. Some people don't want to make waves. So they, you know, like often, you know, not, not even like necessarily like less often, I think that in the more authoritarian countries are going to actually fake the figures. But, you know, if you don't want to look, if you don't look, you're not going to find basically this kind of situation. I think it happens. But if something as bad or even close to being as bad as what we see in Italy, or France or the US was was taking place right now in Japan. I just don't buy that we wouldn't see it. You know? People would notice. Like when you've had like in France, we're talking about ICUs being totally overrun in less than three weeks. And I get that in Japan they have more ICU beds per capita than France, but still, you know, like like in in the region around Paris right now, like ICUs are at like 250% capacity right now, you know. Like they, they, we would notice if something like that happened in Japan. So I, I think it's pretty clear there isn't like some kind of hidden, at least for now, there isn't some kind of like hidden like Holocaust going on in Japan. Uh, uh, so that's really weird because if, like I said, they've had the first case before us, they've had the first test before us. Even, if, you know, I, I get like another hypothesis that people have is that stochastic factors, so like just random factors at the beginning of an epidemic of an outbreak, can have a huge, can play a huge role in how it spreads initially. Like you can see that, you know, it seems that in the north of Italy, for instance, there actually was a, a bunch of super spreaders that had an outside influence at the beginning of the outbreak on, on how the, how fast the, the virus spread. But I mean, we're talking like it, 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 this thing has clearly been in Japan, circulating in Japan since at least like the the second half of January, I think their first case was on January 15th. Presumably it was there before that, right? Uh, so it must have been like, uh, probably it was in the country at the beginning of January. Uh, we're talking about something that has an, apparently an R naught that's estimated like, like above two, you know, like there are various estimates, but it, it seems to be, as based on the data we have, it seems to be clearly above two. And now it's been so, so now it's been like uh, three months, you know, like, I mean, even if you even allowing for the role that stochastic factors play at the beginning of the epidemic, they, they should be swimming in that thing. So if it really has a, a knife or an infection fatality rate of, of around one percent, like people should be dropped, like bodies should be piling up everywhere right now. But where are the bodies? Like, I don't see them. Uh, yeah, it it. it... 
it is a little curious. And also, even you, you uh, are not the first person to have noticed these sorts of discrepancies. And so there have there have been all, you know, dozens of different theories that have been put forward to explain some or all of it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, um, I mean, in the case of Japan, it can be climate, for instance, but then you have the mass, then you have the culture, like... Uh, like I said, you know, pe- people are just very confident. I- I'm not saying, you know, those are plausible. Many of those theories are plausible, I find. But people are just, like, they seem to think they know. They know for a fact that those are the explanation. I'm like, yeah, I'm, sh- I'm pretty sure that this is part of the explanation. But I look again, I, I do some, like, just back-of-the-envelope calculations, and I-, I find it very implausible that this is the whole or even most of the story. But people just... Say, oh yeah, no, that's that's simple. That's that's because they're wearing masks, or that's because uh, their culture is like uh, makes them uh, re- like uh, reduces the the amount of contact they have with each other. I mean, I don't know. Have you ever been in the subway in Tokyo? <laughs> <laughs> right. no, yeah, mm. um, yeah. And then uh, another curious wrinkle, just rega- with regard to Italy specifically, is that if you have ever seen a map of uh, pretty much any social indicator in Italy, the maps all look the same, which is whatever it is, things are much, much worse in the South than in the North, right? Uh, you know, so uh, living standards, like efficiency, you know, corruption, you know, efficiency of the system, health indicators or whatever. It's all it's always that the South is worse off than the North. And here we have one thing where it seems to be absolute, absolutely re- reversed. Yeah, I guess one thing people have noted is that one thing that does seem worse in the north, especially around Milan, is is hair pollution, which which might yeah. be relevant, and also connection to the world. You know, like I mean, you're going to have more Chinese coming for business in Milan than in the south. So there's That's- that. So that is certainly true. Uh, I will say though that when they announced that. When the Italian government announced they were doing the initial lockdown of yeah. Italy, I remember watching videos of because they they did it where they announced that it was going to take effect. You know, yeah, it leaked. Like you know, there was a rumor first that leaked, and like people just like rushed right. to the train station. Yeah. yeah, so you see like people getting packed into these, you know, packing themselves into the <laughs> trains so they can get out. Which you know, those trains go to the south of Italy. And so, okay, even if there's a lag, you would expect there to be some, you know, huge explosion uh, a week or two later. And maybe some of that is they did end up locking down all of it, Italy shortly after that. So maybe that's that's the explanation. There's also weird stuff in Switzerland between the yeah. different cantons where the Italian-speaking cantons... Uh, look more like northern Italy in terms of their caseload, and the French ones look like France, and the German ones look like Germany. Um, so I don't know. Maybe that's maybe so, some of this is obviously just going to be coincidence because you're looking at so many different things. But uh, it's hard to dismiss it all as coincidence. Um, and, and I guess the, the you know the the big question is well, what does this mean, right? Because there have basic there are basically two big scenarios. Uh, that people have or ideas that people have about the virus. Um, the majority one, I would say that, that is kind of accepted by 
uh, most governments and most of the epidemiologists or whatever is that, um, you know, the, the, the virus, it, it is pretty infectious and it is pretty deadly. It is really deadly. Uh, and then it can become even more deadly if your health system gets overwhelmed. And then there is also, though, a more minority view, uh, which here in the U.S. is, for whatever reason, associated with uh, the Stanford University. It's like yeah. whenever you whenever you see an article, you know, saying the virus is not so deadly in the U.S. press, you look and it's yeah. almost it's like it's a weird thing that they're all from Stanford. I don't. That's its own kind of weird uh, anomaly, but. Their view is, uh, the, the view there is, well, actually, there are many, many more people who have the infection who we just don't know about because their symptoms are mild and they've never been tested. And so in reality, the virus is not nearly so deadly, right? Uh, so these are, these are kind of the two theories that are out there. Uh, I, I will confess I'm, I'm a little skeptical of that second theory for various reasons, but it's not clear to me that these anomalies really fit with either theory uh, because I mean, there are things, there are things that are hard to square with, with both of them. Right. Yeah. It's not like that. It's like you, you, no matter which theory you, you pick, you know, you're going to find plenty of anomalies, plenty of things that seem hard to square with it. And of of course you can, you know, like enough imagination and, and you can come up like all sorts of hypotheses again, some of them quite plausible. Uh, but uh, but still, you know, that's that's you have uh, it's it's very poorly supported. I mean, you know, uh, you were talking about um, uh, well, you know, one thing you 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 mentioned is like uh, all those people who uh, went to the south uh, uh, and uh, you know, of Italy. I mean, like right after when 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 it leaked, you know, when the information was leaked that there was going to be a lockdown uh, in the north. And so this should have taken the virus to the south and we should have seen a big explosion later. But, you know, they did the lockdown like very soon after that. And so uh, people on both sides think that they can trust their intuitions. At least they seem to think that they can trust their intuitions on what this should have resulted in on either theory. But really, I don't think you can. You know, I mean, who knows exactly? Uh, because, you know, if you if you lock people down in their home, then... You decrease the amount of contact uh, outside the home, but you increase the amount of contact inside the home. And there's plenty of evidence from China that a lot of infections uh, happen in the home. So provided there is enough, because the lockdown is only ever partial, uh, even in Italy, certainly in France, uh, you, you can't completely pr- uh, prevent you know, contacts between households. Uh, if you increase the contact within household enough, but that you only reduce uh, contact between households that much, it could totally be that this is this lockdown is not enough and that actually it may even possibly may f- make things worse, you know, in some scenario. You, again, you, you don't know. Like uh, Then, yeah, you would expect a huge explosion, which so far hasn't happened. Although if you look at the trajectories, it looked like I just tweeted about this, like did a chart where I charted the trajectories of, uh, number of deaths per 100,000 in by regions in Italy, and you know they look very similar, like very similar trajectories with the lag. So this seems like prima facie. This seems to support the pessimistic hypothesis. 
and and people who believe the pessimistic hypothesis like um just assume that this is the case but i think it's not obvious either you know like the fact that the the trajectories look the same doesn't tell you that they would actually have followed the uh trajectory only with the luck we don't know what would have happened uh without the lockdown we don't even know what's going to happen with the lockdown uh and people think that they can again because uh they think their intuition is can tell them you know how different events and different kind of interventions uh that their intuition can tell them what should happen what will happen on this thing but i don't really think they they can you know and like so uh like they they have no way to know whether their preferred like hypothesis to explain away the anomalies on their preferred theory actually can do that you know like because it's not something you know it's something that you in order to be able to determine that you'd have to use like uh modeling but as I've been like insisting a lot recently, uh, you can't really trust your models when there is almost so much uncertainty about the some of the key parameters of the model. So who knows? You know. Yeah. So let's let's talk a little bit about the models because that is you know you talk about people trusting their intuitions and one thing that uh, you know people have tried to rely on. Okay, well we can't trust our intuitions. Let's. Mm-hmm. You know, there's been this various modeling to try and figure out what's going to happen. Um, sometimes, you know, the the I think the danger of modeling can uh, be illustrated by what happened with the United Kingdom, where they apparently had a model, uh, an, an older model about a pandemic, uh, and when the Corona stuff started happening, they plugged everything into that model and it said, okay, the thing to do is just let the virus spread and you'll get herd immunity. And that's, you know, that's probably the best. So they, they said, okay, well, that's what we're going to do. And then later someone went back and said, oh, well, our model didn't account for the fact that people are going to need ventilators. And, you know, if you don't have enough ventilators, then the death rate goes up. And so they, when they plug that into the model, when they plugged that into the model, uh, suddenly, you know, it was horrible, and so they changed they changed their mind, right? <laughs> so, you know, that's just an example of of how the model can give a false sense of of confidence, I guess. Yeah, th- this has been my problem. So you're totally right. You know, one like seemingly like natural conclusion from the fact that we can't really trust our intuition, which is definitely the case. You you really can't uh, about those things. Uh, is okay. Well, we can't trust our intuition, as you said. Then the natural conclusion is like, oh, let's let's try and model this. You know, let's use models, and and sure, it makes sense. You know, but then you start looking at what's even like uh, relatively simple models uh, need. You know, in terms of like what parameters they depend on, and then you start thinking about how much uncertainty there is about the value of those parameters, and you're like, okay, well, you know. Like the what the model what the models are telling you is only going to be as good as the uh, parameters you picked, you know, to uh, when you when you run the models and and you don't know, you know, there is a huge. It's not that you don't know anything. Like we know that the infection fatality rate is not like fifty percent, right? I mean, okay, but that's you know that's that's not very useful. Like um, there's still like if if you if you think it can be, which I think is totally possible, it can be anywhere between, I don't know, like 0.2% to uh, 1.5%. So, you know, I don't know, like, um, that's a huge, you know, it can make a huge difference. You know, it's the same thing for like hospitalization rates, uh, 
the proportion of people who've been hospitalized who require admission in ICU, et cetera, et cetera. So, uh, you know, the aeronauts and like a bunch of other things. So um, it's just, um, you know, we, we can't trust our intuitions. Uh, we can't really trust models, I think, either. Um, I think, the you know, but, but models, they can, like you said, like they can give you a false sense of confidence, you know, false sense of like, Knowing what's gonna happen, having like having some control over the uncertainty, and this can easily result in disaster, either because you you go too far to protect yourself from the from the epidemic, or you go not far enough, and you know a lot of people die. So um, honestly, I think that I'm not saying that models are, are totally useless, but I think I, I I would I think it's just the best thing you can do is like. Like use like extremely like simple models, um, and then uh, which are you know just a bit better than like back of the envelope calculation, basically. I mean I'm exaggerating a little, but not that much. And you look at uh, the range of the possible values of the parameters, and again it's pretty huge. Uh, and you see what's the the range of like possible outcomes, but it's like really a it's it's huge again you know so it's also huge because the results of those models are heavily dependent like they're very sensitive to the um the values of some of some key parameters uh and then you can use like common sense you know and i think uh so the problem with those mathematical models is that i think a, a lot of people are expecting like easy solutions from them but i don't think you know they're going to give you that uh you're going to you know if you, if you're being realistic about the uncertainty uh, about the parameters you're you're still going to be left with like a huge range of possible outcomes and you have to make your decisions based on that you know like the the models aren't going to reduce the uncertainty very much you know very much at all so so we talked about intuition why that might not help us and we talked about the models why that might not help us. A third thing uh, that I've heard a lot, and uh, for you know a couple of reasons that I, I think uh, would be no surprise to you, this does annoy me when I hear people say that this crisis has shown that we need to defer to the experts yeah. um, and rely on experts and trying to guide us more. Uh, and but this is because this is another area where. Uh, the record of uh, the experts has not necessarily been all that great. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, if you look at the there was a survey of experts like like that five thirty eight did a piece about um, about I don't know two or three weeks ago, and you know, they were asked to predict what would be like a number of things, the number of cases announced by the CDC by the end of March, the number of deaths, et cetera, et cetera, in the U.S. You know, and like only three out of eighteen, if I remember correctly. Um, like had the the correct figures at least for number of cases, which actually was the easiest one. Um, for the number of cases, only three out of eighteen had the correct number in their uh, uh, confidence interval, right. uh, and those three had it only because they had a huge confidence interval. Which I don't want to, and except in one case where it was just really too huge, it was actually stupid to think that. I mean, yeah, like no, look, I don't, uh, I don't, I don't think I had like. 5,000, you know, like 10,000 cases to 2 million or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know who this expert was. And the funny thing is that he was one of the ones who's supposed to have gotten it right, you know, but he's a moron, you know. If, if you know, yeah. just, because of, just because of the obvious limitations of how many tests 
you know, even in the U.S., which is like tremendous economic power, there was only so many tests that they were able, that there was only so far that we're going to be able to ramp up their testing capacity. So there's just no way you'd get that as high as like the the high part of his uh, interval uh, in, in in like two weeks. You know, that was just ridiculous. So this guy is like, no, is supposed to, we're supposed to say, okay, he was one of the few who had it right. But no, he's, he's just, Honestly, it was a moron, this guy. I don't know who he is. I'm sorry. I hope he doesn't listen to this, or maybe I hope he does. But um, it's like it was just ridiculous. So you could have done a, a much better job by just looking at how various economies had been able to ramp up their testing capacity. Look at the like the range of like uh, 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 positive like uh, tests that proportion of tests that came back positive. And just based on this, you would have you would have gotten an interval that would have been much better than uh, like virtually all of those eighteen experts got. You know, like so it's it's that's and and actually the the right value would almost certainly have been in there. It was just like weird, and uh, so you're right. You know, like the the track record is really not that good. But also, uh, like I said, you know, like those experts, they're not magicians. You know, right? Like we we know how they do this. You know, like I said, they take a bunch of models. You can look at the various kind of models that, or I'm sure, you know, obviously they know those models better than me, but I don't need to know them all that much to uh, to know how much they're sensitive to value of the parameters. And I don't need an expert to tell me that we don't really know what the value of the parameters are. So like the bottom line is that I, I know that, you know, again, they're not magician. I know that there is no way right now that expert or no expert, you could give like a, a very confident forecast you know we don't know like and and it's just like magical thinking to assume that the experts are like are going to save us you know like they you know again they're not magicians like it's it's not uh you know it's not like a physics problem where you know most of well depends on the physics problem i guess like a lot of physics problems uh like most of the parameters are well known and you know you have like uh, well-established laws that govern the the behavior of the system of interest, etc. So, I mean, very often are like extremely complicated stuff. But I guess the bottom line is that we have a much better understanding of that stuff. And so, in that case, I, I would trust the expert uh, a lot more than here, unless you know I have reasons to think that uh, it's a similar situation, which can happen, you know, like even in in the case of a physical problem. But like, there's this kind of like uh, childish. Um, uh, reliance on experts as if they were a magician, as if non-experts could not get even a sense of how, um, what kind of knowledge they have and how trustworthy it is. And as if, you know, non-experts could not look up the track record of experts and get a sense of, like, base their judgments on how much they could and should, should trust them um, based on that, you know. But that that's all of this is false you know i mean like um like non-experts at least some non-experts are not morons and conversely some experts definitely are morons as i just pointed out before so yeah that's kind of a ridiculous uh ridiculous thing yeah what one thing uh that i think is interesting about this situation is everything is playing out much more quickly than is typical so normally when someone makes a uh, prediction that ends up being way off, it will be months or even years before we find out that it was stupid, right? 
Where yeah. in, in this case, it could be literally days, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Uh, there's a, a famous case recently where uh, Richard Epstein, who is a, he's a law professor, um, he wrote an article predicting that there were uh, only going to be 500 deaths from the coronavirus in the United States. And of course, within a week of him writing that, he wrote that when I guess there were 160 deaths, something like that. And of course, within a week, we were over 500 deaths. And so someone asked him about it and he said, oh, it was a, it was a mistake. Uh, it needs to be 5,000 deaths. Actually, first he said 2,000 and then he said, well, let's make it 5,000. And of course, now it's less than a week later and we're over 5,000 deaths. Uh, so, you know, normally, like if someone were to say, um, you know, what's the, what's the GDP going to be, uh, you know, what's the GDP growth going to be next year? Uh, well, one, it will take like a year to find out whether they're right or not. And two, we don't necessarily care that much if it gets, if he gets it wrong, you know, yeah. whereas in this case, you could find out within days. And it could also be the case that, like we really care how many people are dying yeah no we do and you know i want to say something i want to add something on the epstein situation i mean you know i wouldn't call epstein a an expert on on like uh epidemiology of of infectious diseases obviously he's yeah. not but so i want to i i'm saying that not as a defense of expert because i know that if people like listen to what you said before, they're going to say, well, you know, Epstein is obviously not an expert. So this doesn't come, doesn't show anything about expert. Okay. Well, uh, let's look at actual expert, like the one that was surveyed that this 538 piece was about, you know, right. let's look, just have a look at their estimates of how many people will die, you know, and let's see how good they're going to be, you know, and I think, you know, they're, uh, like, I mean, we, we I don't think we can, you can actually tell this piece because I, if I remember correctly, no, actually, actually, it's. Uh, I'm looking at it now. I just opened it. Uh, if you look at the estimated death tolls, uh, there is like a, a bunch of them who have said that this. So this is not on at the end of March, but this is for the whole of the entire 2020 year, right? For the whole year until. So the, that's the that's the death toll at the end of the year, and. Like there is a bunch of them. Like I'm seeing at least five of them. I'm guessing, and I, it's it's hard because I have to eyeball the bar. You know, like there's no, yeah. um, and but that that says it's like it's going to be less than ten thousand death dead people. Right. And I mean, you know, how much would you bet that it's going to be right now? How much? Uh, I I don't know if they released the figures today yet, but like it was three thousand something yesterday. I yeah. mean, um. Like by the, time, by the so we're recording this on Thursday. Uh, I anticipate that by the time this airs on Monday, we will have ten thousand. Uh, yeah, I, I, maybe I you know I don't know. I have no idea, but I know that by the end of two thousand twenty, you will. And yeah. and, and so uh, and so you have at least like uh, what is that? It's like uh, like something like at least twenty percent of the of the expert that were surveyed actually more than that who have gotten that wrong. And, you know, they're not lawyers. Uh, right. Like, they're actual, they're actual experts. So people shouldn't go and, like, say, oh, you know, the Epstein example, like, you know, it's like, you know, it's like they're no better than Epstein. <laughs> I mean, if right. people are making fun of him, rightly so. I mean, I, I think he's been saying a bunch of ridiculous things. 
especially because he was so confident. I would at least hope that the experts uh, were less confident, but actually I'm not even sure that's true because I look at their uh, like confidence interval. They were asked, they were given the option, you know, and which they used of, of giving like an uncertainty band. And, and many of them like picked a ridiculously small one as if, which like seems to indicate they're very confident in their point estimates. And, you know, and, and that's just dumb, you know, I'm sorry. Like, I mean, if, if, if you may be an expert, but if you don't understand right now how much uncertainty there is to the, which again is what this seems to indicate the fact that they pick such narrow, super narrow intervals. It's like the fact that you're an expert, I'm sure you know a lot more thing than I do about uh, all of those models and the literature, etc. But you just you're just dumb, you know. So why should I why should I trust you just because you've read a bunch of articles I haven't? You know, it's just you've just demonstrated that you were that you were not very smart. And and I don't know, like again, it's just it doesn't make sense to me that this this is not to say, you know, that I don't want to be like make the, the like a ridiculous claim. This is not to say that experts are, we can like dismiss experts that they're not useful. I don't think that at all. You know, I mean, I'm learning a lot from, from experts like that, uh, that I see like on Twitter who, who tweet interesting, explain a lot of stuff, you know, about this, uh, about this virus. Like they know a lot more stuff than I do. That's, that's not the issue. But at some point, uh, you know, you, you can still like, even if you're a non-expert, when they start making forecasts, or making various arguments about masks. We could talk about the arguments some of them have made about masks. You know, non-experts can actually evaluate their claims. Like, you can read the literature. You can evaluate their arguments. And, and you know, some of their arguments are just, like, downright ridiculous. I, I've been, like, like uh, there, was, there was actually a... Well, I probably shouldn't say that, but anyway, like I've had private conversation, let's say, by with like a, a doctor who's, um, who is like actually uh, working like academic medicine, and and I've seen a bunch of others, you know, on on Twitter and elsewhere, uh, making arguments about masks, and, and you know, people say that they're just lying because there there's a shortage and they want to. Uh, that's also a terrible argument, by the way, but okay. Uh, putting that aside, I, I have absolutely no doubts based on a few things I've seen, a few conversations I've had, that many of them actually believe in those ridiculous arguments. So it's not just that they're saying that for like uh, practical, you know, very practical reasons, you know, uh, cynical reasons. No, no, no. They, they actually really do believe those ridiculous arguments. Uh, and so, so, you know, they're still experts and Again, I don't want to say, you know, that experts are useless. I'm, I'm very glad they're experts because that's that's thanks to them. I can, they're the ones who, who write the articles I read, um, etc. You know, so if they weren't there, you know, I couldn't know anything about this stuff. But nevertheless, you know, like it doesn't mean that they're magicians again, like that I should like blindly trust everything they say, even if they make transparently stupid arguments. That That's not a rational response to... Uh, claims made by experts or non-experts or, you know, the Pope or whoever. Well, so I guess uh, if, so, you know, I guess if, if intuition uh, and the models and the experts, you know, aren't necessarily going to be a reliable guide for us, like, what do you think we should do uh, in terms of trying to figure out, you know, how to respond, right? Uh, both on a personal and on a societal level, because we got, you know, it's it's all very 
well, it's all very well to say, well, there's a lot we don't know. We don't know. Yeah, yeah. The situation is, but we don't have that. We don't have that luxury because we actually are in the situation and we got to figure out what we're going to do with it. So. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. And like, and also one thing that should be said too is that not doing, not making any decision is itself making a decision. You know, like so. So it's I totally I 100% agree. You know, we can't just say okay, we don't know. Although I do think we don't know. Uh, or we can, so I think it's fine to say that, but you also have to take a stance on what should be done, um, because otherwise, you know, it's just too easy. You know, like you have to. That's the the practical question matters right now. And of course, it's not independent from the theoretical question. But if your answer to the more theoretical, like empirical question is like we don't know, uh, you still have to make a decision under this uncertainty. I mean, honestly, the way I think about this is that I just look at the. Uh, some of like the pessimistic estimates, but pessimistic, but quite realistic. So for instance, like a, a, an infection fatality rate of 1% um, is, is quite realistic. You know, I, I mean, I'm inclined to think right now, if I had to bet, I'd bet that it's actually not that high because of the Japan thing. And, you know, but like I said, you know, like you noted, there are also many weird, very weird things, like things are very difficult to explain if you think that the IFR is is actually much lower than that, so it's it's tricky. But anyway, if I had to bet, I'd say that it's lower than that, but I don't know exactly how low, how much lower. But certainly, even though I would like my my best guess would be lower than that, I also wouldn't be that surprised if the the fatality rate turned out to be about one percent. And then I'm just like, okay, fifty percent of the population gets infected, and the fatality rate is one percent. That's like uh, in the U.S., it's going to be what, like something like two million people. I, I didn't, like in France, it's about three hundred fifty thousand people are going to die. Uh, you don't need like any complicated model to do. It's just a, like a very simple back of the envelope calculation. It takes like literally two minutes to do this. I mean, actually, that's a wild exaggeration. It takes five seconds to do that. Um, so uh, I see that, and I'm like, okay, that's that's a lot, you know. Then you know, I've I've seen a bunch of people have also like used. Um, made like back of the envelopes calculation about based on how much on the value, the estimated, va estimated value of a human life, you know, um, how much like, uh, how much money would be willing, we should be willing to, well, people would be willing to, uh, to spend to avoid this outcome. And it's clear that, you know, I, I, I think that there is a very good case to be made in favor of like, um, uh, like shutting everything down for a while until we can figure out what's going on. But I think what's very important too is that when you say that, uh, there's one thing I've been stressing in my my last blog post is that. So I'm I'm in favor of a lockdown. I think that's the reasonable thing to do. But I think what's very important when you say that is to make clear that like I'm not in favor of a lockdown because I think I know what's going to happen. I'm in favor of a lock a lockdown because I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen, but I think I have enough reason to fear an outcome that's bad enough to justify shutting everything down for a while. And that's the reason why I think so is just what I told you, this very simple back of the envelope calculation. Uh, but I think the difference, like, like the, this is not merely a, a mere, merely verbal difference. I actually think it has practical uh, consequence. I think it has to be very clear when you do something as radical as a lockdown that you have to be ready to to get out of it as soon as as uh, evidence indicates you know you have to be able to revise your your view about what's currently happening and and be willing to lift the lockdown 
if or when uh, depends on depending on how optimistic you are. Um, you get evidence that justifies doing so. Like my problem that I think I see a lot of people who I suspect so they're in favor of the lockdown. So I agree with them on that, and they agree with me on that too. That's a reflexive thing. Uh, but um, but I also get the sense that uh, if I listen to them, you know, we're gonna stay locked down for six months, and and I don't want that. Uh, I think we should not just go on lockdown. We should not just uh, like it's not enough to say we should lock everything down for a few weeks uh, until we have enough information to figure out what's going on and decide what to do next. We should, as as we go on the lockdown, we should start doing things to make sure that we're going to get this information. So I think it's very important that we, I don't understand why there hasn't been a, a, a random study yet, like where they collect, where they randomly sample people and test them. Uh, has to be, I mean, you know, like the cost of this would be really small for for like modern states. It's it's nothing, you know. I mean, it's especially compared to the economic cost of a of a lockdown, which again I think we should be doing. Uh, this is nothing, so we should be doing this uh, as soon as possible. You know, like as as a friend was telling me recently, if you can if you can send a SWAT team uh, to expel people who are like in a church when you've like uh, made it illegal for people for more than like. I don't know, like five people to congregate in the same place, then surely you can get people like uh, 10,000 people and test them randomly. You know, like that's, uh, and again, in terms of cost, it seems totally doable. So that's one thing you should be, uh, you should be doing. Um, uh, and you should be uh, also thinking about strategies to come out, you know, like I, one thing, like I've been more focused on France uh, right now because that's where I live and that's my country. Uh, so I haven't followed the situation in the U.S. as closely, but at least I can tell you that in France, one thing that freaks me out is that, uh, I mean, one thing that freaked me out a month ago that the government wasn't doing anything, like it, it was totally careless about this and not preparing and saying everything's going to be all right. It's just uh, the Italians are just a bit stupid. I mean, they weren't saying it like that, but that's basically what what they was what they were saying meant. Uh, and we're going to be fine because we have such excellent statesmen at the helm. Uh, and of course, we saw what happened. Uh, that was just that was just dumb. Uh, so this was freaking me out. Now what's freaking me out is that they're denying that they did anything wrong. This is freaking me out even more. Uh, but another thing that's freaking me out is that there is no discussion, almost no discussion, about what strategies we can use to come out of confinement. At some point, we're going to come out. You know, we're not going to be lockdown for like a whole year or something so we have to be thinking and talking about uh possible strategies and in france at least like i see almost none of that i mean um like for instance i mentioned the um doing a random study to figure out uh, how many people have immunity how many people have been infected etc um like there's virtually no discussion of that in france like in germany apparently they want to do this but i haven't heard Anything about that in France? Of course, in France we test very little people, very few people. So uh, I guess maybe they uh, we're so short on testing capacity that we have none to spare to do this kind of study. I fear that this might be the explanation, but I wish they would tell them. They would tell it. Of course, I don't expect the I don't expect the government to volunteer this information. But you know, there's supposed to be a a bunch of people called journalists whose job it is to ask those questions, but they're not doing it. Uh, so, but anyway, coming back to what I was initially saying, 
my point is that um, uh, I think it's very important that, so my, my view is that uh, we should go on lockdown. Um, uh, I think that actually, so uh, some people say, you know, that I've had two objections to this. And I, I don't want to say that, you know, those objections are ridiculous. Like, I think this is a serious conversation that, that uh, we shouldn't vilify people. Like, I've, I've seen a lot of people like being vilified because they disagree with lockdown. And I disagree with them, but I, I think it's a real conversation that we shouldn't like vilify people who uh, disagree with, with us on that. At least with me, I don't, I don't even know what your position is. So my position, yeah, my position is um, I, I'm against stupid arguments, so... I disagree. Yeah, <laughs> yeah well, you are, you are a practicing attorney. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there are better and worse arguments yeah, about about the lockdown, and I don't I don't have a problem with with any sort of skeptical argument from any side, as long as it's not as long as you know people are is it's not dumb, right? And some of the arguments I'm afraid are like yeah yeah, yeah. I, I I agree with that, but uh, you know we should also be wary of our uh, and I say that as someone who very much does not practice the advice I'm about to give. Um, well, I think I, I have been on this particular case, but in general, I, def- I generally, feel, I generally, I definitely don't. Uh, we should be wary of like assuming that things that seem definitely stupid to us really are stupid uh, because sometimes, you know, like we might be wrong. Um, right. I mean, like I said, you know, I, I, I'm like, uh, I haven't been exactly practicing like generally this, 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 this advice, but I think in this case I have. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, I mean, but okay, I don't want to be playing like devil's advocate too much. I agree that there's, there's a bunch of really dumb arguments. Uh, right, and there's, there's dumb arguments on every side of things. Yeah, exactly. You know, I was going to say it's also true on the, uh, doomster side, you know, like there, there's definitely been a lot of dumb arguments on that side too. So yes, I, I, I think this is uh, like I, you know, I, I just wanted to say something about like the objections to to this uh, strategy because I think it's an important uh, conversation. Uh, so that's that's another thing I discussed in in my uh, latest blog post. And uh, one one argument is that um, if we were to follow the logic of my argument in favor of a lockdown, we would have gone on a lockdown like several times in the past 30 years. So one thing I do in the blog post that I argue against this, I think this is just not true. I mean, if again, I've looked carefully yeah. at the amount of stress uh, what is currently happening is putting on French hospitals and I've compared this with past flu seasons for the past 10 years. So that's not like I haven't just cherry picked like two years or something. Uh, so at least in the past 10 years, I can say very confidently that there is there hasn't been nothing that even came close to what we're experiencing right now, and it has also it hasn't been very often. In fact, it has only happened once in the past thirty years that uh, the Chinese government, who are not known for being sentimental, has uh, put under quarantine an entire region of fifty million people and brought the rest of the country almost to a standstill because of a virus. So you know when you see all this, you're like, okay, that's. It's not something that's happened that often. That's the first thing. Uh, that's the first response to this objection to my arguments. Uh, but I think another, possibly even more important response is that um, I think probably we should be doing this more often. I don't think we should have been doing doing. We, we would have been doing it as often as uh, people who don't like my argument think in the past thirty years. Uh, but uh, probably we should be doing this more often because 
what this what this shows what is what what's currently happening tells us in my opinion is like like so like I said uh, no matter what the fatality rate of this thing exactly is it's not like thirty percent you know it's not Ebola or something like that it's not going to wipe out one third of the human population but eventually something that can will come like I mean we can be almost certain of this we don't know when but there is every reason to believe that eventually something like that is going to come. And, and I think that, you know, like I haven't tried this, but I, I have absolutely no doubt that um, like a cost-benefit analysis would warrant a strategy where, I don't know, maybe once every 10 years, maybe even once every five years, we actually go on the lockdown for a few weeks. I don't think it would actually be that often, you know, but... Uh, uh, but certainly more often than we than many people think, I think uh, we do this uh, just out of precaution, uh, because just just in case what's coming is actually this thing, you know, something that could wipe out like like twenty percent or a third of the human population, and and yes, this is gonna we're gonna lose a few points of GDP like over a period of fifty years, you know, if we do this, but as long as we have a plan, you know, plans in place and procedures to come out of these lockdowns, of these lockdowns, so that we don't stay in them forever once we have evidence, enough evidence to to determine that it's safe to, to lift them. Uh, so that's why this is also very important. Another thing that's very important is to make sure that uh, we preserve, like, uh, like, fundamental rights and individual liberties during those periods, like, because you, you don't want... You don't want governments to take advantage of this, uh, of these periods of lockdown to, like, curtail uh, individual freedoms. That's another thing that's very important. So that's why we should be planning those things well in advance, including like having procedures and stuff like that to to respond to signs that, like, a pathogen is coming that might be really, really dangerous. And once there is enough smoke, uh, should be like a fire drill. You know, once there is enough smoke, we should go on those lockdowns. Every once in a while, like we're again, we're gonna lose a few points of GDP by locking everything down for a few weeks, uh, a few times when it wasn't really necessary. But I think it will be well worth it when the real killer comes, and again, it will probably come at some point. So that that's my argument. Okay, and I I would say that if we had a little bit of uh, time to prepare and build in some more flexibility into the system. It's not clear to me that you actually even would uh, lose that much in terms of economic costs because, for example, uh, you know, we have uh, this in the United States and in most countries, the schools are closed for several months in the summer, right? So mm-hmm. you just knew, okay, uh, every once in a while, the school year, the summer, it, the, the off period is going to be moved from the summer to the spring or whatever. Uh, or in the same way that, uh, you know, in France, I, I understand, like, everybody takes all of August off, right? Uh, and yeah, if- I wouldn't say everybody all of August, but people take, like, two or three weeks uh, yeah. either in July, more often in August, but, uh, yeah. So it would obviously be uh, not much fun if instead of taking time off in July or August and going to the beach, you had to take the time off in march and you know you had to stay at home or whatever but from you you wouldn't you know like you wouldn't crash the economy if you just had to if everyone just had to work more in august to make up for 
what happened in March, if they were able to plan ahead and everyone, you know, if everyone knew, okay, since we know that this is going to happen, you know, you need this much reserves and blah, 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 blah. Um, yeah, yeah, no, I totally agree. And another thing is that if we plan this in advance, and so in particular, we make sure that as soon or even before we go on lockdown, we do things, we do the thing that we need to do to gather enough information, data, like good enough data to to know as soon as possible when it's safe to lift the lockdown, when it is indeed safe to lift it, because, you know, in the bad bad scenario, it's not going to be safe, but that's that's... We want to be able to know when this is the case. Uh, so, you know, starting like starting those random studies I was talking about really early, uh, we would also, like the, the lockdown period in the case where it was actually superfluous, uh, would also be much shorter. So as you said, you know, the, the cost on the economy, especially if this is baked in the uh, people's expectations, so people like kind of like think about this, uh, would be much lower than I think a lot of people fear. Uh, I think there's really a really good case for, and I do hope that whatever happens next, at least when this is all over, this is going to be one of the takeaway of this crisis that we need to seriously, seriously put in place such procedures and, and plans, you know, to deal with pandemics. I I totally agree. All right. Um, I think so. We're going to have to end it there. Yeah. Thank you very much for joining. Yeah. Thanks for having me.